The following audio is from New City Church Milledgeville. More information on New City Church Milledgeville is available at www.newcitymilledgeville.org. God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy to us. Uh, I thank you for a cold morning, um, although I don't really know how to thank you for that. Um, but uh, I know that in all things we're to be thankful. Uh, so help us to, to be grateful for uh, the amenities that we have and take for granted. Uh, God, those that are cold uh, and without shelter, without utilities like we have, without proper clothing, um, we're warm and incredibly wealthy um, by many, many standards, and we forget those uh, that are poor and destitute and without. God, I pray that we would not only be reminded of your faithfulness and generosity to us, but of those who are around us who are destitute and in need. Um, God, in our, um, our responsibility to, to reach out and to provide for those who have less than us. Um, God, thank you for gathering us together this morning. Uh, I'm excited about a new year. I'm excited about being in a room with these, these people that I love so much. Um, God, I pray as, as we move into 2018 that you would fix our eyes on you. God, that you would remove the obstacles of, of doubt um, and, and, and sin in our hearts, God, so that we could chase hard and long after you. God, that you would do great and miraculous things through New City Milledgeville in this coming year. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, and I am I'm really excited to, to preach the first sermon in 2018. Um, and I'm kind of glad that it's, it's us here this morning because um, where, where this message would be beneficial to you know, a larger setting, uh, it's really good, I think, for predominantly the core to, to hear it this morning. Uh, and so I don't normally do like silly titles on sermons, and I feel like I did a silly title on this sermon. Uh, and if you just look on your bulletin, it's titled A New Year's Revolution. Um, it's, it's, um, it's not news, obviously, that we struggle with New Year's resolutions. Everyone feels the need to do that. Uh, and I think it's based in a very good concept. You know, uh, with a new year, we feel a, a, a clean slate, um, the possibility of a new, fresh start. And so we're filled and brimming with hope at the beginning of a new year that things will be different this year than they were last year. And if I can just set some challenge to myself, set some goal uh, that I'm going to be better, I'm going to be different this coming year. When we set these New Year's resolutions uh, and I was listening to the radio this week, and the, the DJs were joking, like, trying to get people to call in and tell them about the New Year's resolutions that they'd already broken, and it had been, like, a, less than a week since the New Year. Um, and that is, that's commonplace, you know, and that's, um, people, people joke that, you know, if, if we want to keep our New Year's resolutions, maybe we should make resolutions that are opposite of what we actually want. Uh, and I saw a meme just this week, where, where some, this week where someone was saying, you know, my New Year's resolution is to get fat and to start smoking and to quit and to, and to drink more. You know, and then halfway through the year, he's lost weight and quit smoking, and it's more the opposite faction. Um, anyway, so the concept um, behind the, the message that I want to drive home to you guys this morning, to myself, um, is, is that of a New Year's resolution for us as a body of believers um, that is, is so transformative, not only to ourselves and to this church and those around us, that if we were to actually pursue it wholeheartedly, um, that it would be nothing short of revolutionary in our own lives, in this body of believers, and in the city in which we reside. Uh, and that's my hope and that's my prayer uh, that this message this morning, this time spent together, would fix our eyes on our purpose as a church and would, would fill us with passion and hope to pursue the reason that we exist as a body of believers, as New City Church Milledgeville, um, and, and that it would be nothing short of revolutionary. So the text that we're based out of this morning um, is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, um, and we're going to start in verse 16, 
So I'll give you a second to get there if you're not there yet. Um, and the other text that I'll, I'll refer to, if you want to go ahead and have a thumb there for later, uh, is Romans chapter 10. So just find chapter 10 and you can find the verse once we get there. But um, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21, and then you can find Romans 10 for a little bit further down the road. Um, all right, hopefully you're there. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we, re we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, I'm big on having uh, a, a central theme, a main point. I'd like to go ahead and tell you that at the beginning of the sermon in case you um, check out or I fail here, you can go ahead and know what I wanted you to walk out with at the beginning. Uh, and so the, the main point, the central theme this morning, uh, is based on a synopsis of our church's uh, vision and mission, the, the reason that we exist. And if you go to uh, newcitychurches.org and look up uh, what, you know, what we're about, what we believe, uh, under the vision statement, this is, this is what it says. And it says that we exist. Uh, our goal, our purpose is, is to see the gospel transform everything within our reach, ourselves, our church, our city, and the world. This is something that we need to be championing, not only from the pulpit, but in missional communities, to ourselves and to each other every single day, every week, in and out, so that we remember why we exist. Uh, sometimes it's easy to forget that we exist for a greater purpose, not just individually, but especially and specifically corporately. Uh, if we don't know what we're about and why we're here, why we gather um, it's easy to get off track and to do things that don't support the reason that we exist, that don't support what we're about, and, and to lose focus. Um, little things like the pursuit of this building, you know, if, if, we, if we forget the reason we exist is to see the gospel transform everything within our reach, ourselves, our church, our city, and the world, the pursuit of a building can just look like we're trying to get out of set up and tear down every Sunday. But if we see it through the lens of seeing the gospel transform everything within our reach, then our purpose for increased giving changes. Our purpose for wanting to go and show up and do work after we get off of work for whoever knows how long changes. Our motivation is supplemented by something greater than not wanting to set up chairs in carpet squares, not wanting to meet in a gym, wanting to have a space of our own. Because it can be easy for our focus to shift and to get off. Um, and so, again, this is something I, I would really love to challenge us to commit this to memory, um, to see the gospel transform everything within our reach, ourselves, our church, our city, and the world. Um, two points this morning, um, because I'm, I'm learning and remembering three is too many for me. I'll talk too long. Um, two points this morning. Um, the necessity of reconciliation is one, and the second is our, our ministry of reconciliation. Um, and so as we talk about 
the necessity of reconciliation. I want to make sure that we understand uh, as we look at the text here um, that this, this job, this ministry that God has given to us is the most important thing we will ever undertake in our lives. There is no greater purpose, goal, or, or, or mission that we could possibly be about than fulfilling this one here. Uh, and, and if we look at the text, um, you know, I, I was told a long time ago, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask what the therefore is there for. And sometimes that can really trap you in Scripture because it, it, it's almost um, Paul's favored way of beginning uh, a section of text. Therefore, so you go, okay, let me read back and see what the therefore is there for. And you see at the beginning of that text, it started with a therefore. And so you go, maybe I should just start chapter 1, verse 1. And that, that makes a lot of sense because you want to make sure you're understanding things contextually. You know, so he, he begins this talking about not, regor- re- not um, regarding each other according to the flesh. But right before that, awesome, thank you. Um, <laughs> right before that, um, in, in verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, so that is the con- that, that's the context that this following passage of Scripture works out of. This, this concept that we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, that God reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, but, but giving them the righteousness of Christ, that is based, this job, this task that he gives us, is based in the fact that verse 15 says that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. So that's the basis for everything that we read, is, is a shift in, in what is normal for our culture in the context that we live. In the culture and context that we live and we reside, everyone lives for themselves. It's look out for yourself first, you know. Uh, and you can see that in, in the little things. You can see that in traffic. You can see that in lines in the grocery store. You can see that in the way kids treat each other on the playground. From a very, very early age, it's ingrained in our fallen nature to look out for number one, even if that means pushing the other person aside and not being concerned for how our actions make someone else feel. And, and so from the very beginning of the Holy Spirit's regenerative work in our lives, there's a shift that we're now to not live for ourselves, but for him who died for us. And that's the basis of this task and this, this job that, that God has given us. And so there's nothing more important that we could possibly ever, ever do. And this actually redeems everything that we do. It redeems our roles as parents, because now we parent living for Christ, not for ourselves. And so we see everything now through this redemptive lens of living for God's greater purpose and not for ours. And so the way we raise our children changes. When we go in and we work and we clock in at work, the way we work and conduct ourselves is different now because we live not for ourselves but for Christ who died to redeem us. And and so the way we do our job is different. The way we interact with our coworkers is different. Every single thing about our life changes through this lens of what he's done for us uh, and, and so there's no greater thing that we could possibly be a part of. Uh, and, and I wonder sometimes, when I look at the failure in my own life to do this well, if I fully understand the gospel and its importance. 
do I fully understand everything that the gospel reaches and touches and affects? Um, because the gospel not only affects those that God saves with it, um, that, that's a, obviously a primary initial benefit, but I believe that scripture, scripture teaches us that there are secondary benefits that are received by those around us in the world that is not redeemed yet. Uh, they receive these benefits because of the fact that we are redeemed and, and God's adopted elect walk among them. They get these secondary byproducts, these secondary benefits because we're redeemed. So I think sometimes I, I, I forget the importance of the gospel and I never want to stand up here and mention the gospel and not explain what the gospel is. I never want to assume that all that are here understand the gospel, have believed the gospel. So let's do that first for a moment. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news uh, that, that God has saved us from ourselves. Uh, Genesis starts with a perfect creation. God creates everything and says that it's good. He looks back at it. He, he sits back and rests at this creation that he has made, and that it's good, it's marvelous, it's splendor, it's pleasing to him. Not many words beyond that. Genesis chapter 3 is the tragic fall of man as we choose um, our own desires, our, our selfish sinfulness over that of God. Um, and Adam and Eve eat of the fruit and relationship with God is broken and severed. At that point, the scripture teaches us that not only did Adam and Eve fall in the garden, but through Adam, we all have fallen with him. And, and so now we, Scripture says, we are at enmity with God. There, there's a brokenness in our relationship that we've sinned against God uh, and that he's right and just to punish us for that sin. But God, as Chris alluded to in the liturgy earlier, before the foundation of the world, made a way to redeem us. And he sends his son, born of a virgin, entering the world sinlessly, living his entire life sinlessly, perfectly fulfilling the law that we broke, laid down his life willingly on the cross, taking the punishment that was ours, uh, died, laid in a borrowed tomb, three days later, rises from the grave, proving that God was accepting of his sacrifice, proving that he had victory over death, hell, sin, and the grave, ascended to his father, making it possible for us to be reconciled to God. And this is this ministry of reconciliation that Scripture speaks of here. And, and I forget the importance of that. I forget how incredible that is. And I, and I forget that, that this is my ministry. This is the ministry that God's given me. This is the task, the objective that God has given us uh, as we see in, in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, that we're commissioned to go there for. Okay, and, and, and I forget how important this is. You know, Charles Spurgeon, who is who's one of my absolute favorites, he was, he was considered the prince of preachers, um, and, and he had a very... Um, there was some harshness and abrasiveness to him uh, at, at times, and he, he had something to say about those that that don't share their faith, um, and, and he said it this way. He said that if you don't have compassion for the lost, you yourself are not saved. Be sure of that. Um, and, and I don't say that flippantly this morning, and I don't want you to run away with that. But when, when I realize my own failures to fulfill this, um, it, it's very eye-opening. 
it's very awakening for me personally, um, considering what God has done on my behalf and just how important this task is that he has given us. Um, our ministry of, of reconciliation, it's easy to read this text and to hear it as something that we're given the option to do. It's easy to hear this as something that we can go, mm, nah, I'm good. It's easy to hear this and think that it's not a challenge to everyone, that this is a challenge for people who are, who are professionally in ministry full-time, for those that wear the badge and title of pastor or elder or missionary. Uh, and it is, it's super easy to forget that this is, is, this is not something that's optional for us. Um, it's not optional for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, it's not optional because it's never presented in Scripture as such. Uh, and number two, it's not optional because it's a spiritual necessity. Um, this is where I'd, I'd like for us to look at Romans 10. Try to hold that spot there. All right, so Romans 10, uh, pick it up in verse 14. All right, and this is right after uh, Paul tells us, or tells the, the church at Romans that, that for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and then we pick up verse 14. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how, will they, how, are, how, are, how are they to believe in him, I'm sorry, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We're, we're given a very practical layout of how salvation happens. God could have chosen any means that he saw fit to reconcile the world to himself. For some reason, throughout all of Scripture, he has chosen to use feeble men and women. Um, you know, Patrick preached last week talking about our, our inability and God's enabling, and we'll revisit that, that concept here in, in a moment. Um, but all throughout Scripture, God chose people who initially responded to him and said, uh, I think you got the wrong guy. Uh, you certainly couldn't mean me. I don't speak well. You certainly couldn't mean me. I'm a prostitute. You certainly couldn't mean me. I'm an orphan. You certainly couldn't mean me. I'm a murderer. You certainly couldn't mean me. Uh, I'm an adulterer. You certainly couldn't mean me. On and on and on and on. Uh, and if you look at the characteristics and traits of who God chooses, um, I, I heard a preacher once say that we need to be careful um, when we're giving excuses to God for reasons that we can't do something, because based on who he chooses in Scripture, all we're doing is pre-qualifying ourselves. So the next time we say, I can't do this because it's too big, I can't do this because I'm so small, we need to remember all you're doing is God's going, yep, check, yep, check, okay, you're perfect, let's go. Um, you know, and so as we look at this mission field in Milledgeville, 
as we look at this building that we want to move into, as we look at the, the people groups that we want to reach and see affected by the gospel, and we say it's too big, it's too much money, it's too much work, um, Georgia College is too liberal, Millersville is too segregated, um, I'm uneducated, I'm ill-equipped, I don't understand the gospel, I don't know how to evangelize, all we're doing is making God go, okay, perfect. So when it happens through you and to the people to which I've sent you, no one will ever be able to say it was because Michael was so great. No one will ever be able to say it was because New City Milledgeville had so much money and had so much blessing and was such a phenomenal church. They'll be able to say God did something miraculous here through a people who it shouldn't have happened with. You know, and as we look back, not just this past year, really from our, our inception as a church, God has brought us through so much. If you just look at this last year, there are stronger, more well-established churches that have closed their doors for less. And here it is January 7th and we're still meeting. God has done great and miraculous things and has brought us through much. And his provision and his protection that he has shown to us through this year and through the last seven years that we've been established as a church should be indication that he has great things in store and ahead of us as New City Milledgeville. And, and that, I believe, ties in perfectly with what we look and see here because it's not just our ministry of reconciliation in, in that it's an individual thing, because it is, that we all individually are challenged by God. We're given this commission that we're to go out and to make disciples of all men this is not something that is optional. It's not something that he was, gives us the choice to do or not to do. This is how he has foreordained to spread the gospel to every ear that will hear throughout all of the world is for you and I to speak it. He could have chosen any method in his sovereignty, in his providence. He could have spoken through donkeys exclusively as he did once in Scripture. He could have blinded by light as he did Paul on the side of the road to Damascus. He could, he could have chosen any method that he, he wanted to, that he saw fit. But for some reason that is beyond me, he chose me and he chose you. And Scripture lays that out that they will not believe and profess and call his name for salvation if we don't speak it. So it's a job that we have individually, and it's a job that we have corporately. This is the reason that we exist. And sometimes it's really, really easy to forget that. Sometimes it's really easy to be so inwardly focused that we forget that we assemble for a greater reason than this here. It's really, really easy to forget. Uh, and, and there are a lot of churches, and I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm picking on anybody or poking at anybody, um, but so many churches are, are inwardly focused. That was the first thing that attracted me to New City. Um, and I had been on staff at a local church and was in between places, wasn't really sure where God was, was moving our family. And I heard about this church that was coming, and I got on the phone with the pastor that was coming to plant, and I said, tell me about your vision for this church and what you want to be about. Uh, and he shared, he shared the vision. It's the same vision that Patrick would tell you, that Keith would tell you, um, that, that any of the elders in Macon would. Um, and, and that is a church that becomes so incredibly involved and ingrained in the city and where it's planted and positioned, that if it were to close its doors tomorrow, the city would mourn its loss. How many churches do you know of 
that could say that. They may have really great kids programs. They may have really great bands and worship ministries. They may feed a crap ton of people. But how many, how many churches could you say that if, if, they, if they close their doors and stop meeting tomorrow, the, the city around them will go, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? How are we going to function? And, and that's the greater vision. That's, that's what we want to be about. And so when I first heard that, I thought, wow, this is, this is radically different than anything I've ever heard. Because the church that I'd been a part of, if you looked at our budget, and our annual budget was somewhere between three hundred fifty dollars and $400,000. Uh, and for a church our size, it was about fair and average. And, and I would wager that 85 to 90% of that uh, was all spent internally. It was all to keep the church afloat and functioning, as it typically did Sunday by Sunday. Um, and, and the line item for benevolence or outreach was less than 10% of the overall budget. Um, and, and, and so hearing this vision for a church that would come in and want to be so ingrained in the city, so ingrained to, to want to be about seeing the gospel redeem everything it touches, and I want you to understand the gospel does redeem everything that it touches. Scripture tells us that no plan of God's can be thwarted. No plan of God's can fail. The gospel will redeem everything that it touches, and yet we, we still are so often silent and unwilling to speak. This ministry that is ours individually is also a corporate responsibility. It's the reason behind everything that we do, and it's a mission that, that will not fail. Wrapping up, because this is a, this is a simple sermon today, um, I want us to, to take a moment and consider what could be. Um, if you've got to close your eyes to not be distracted, close your eyes. I don't want to ask everybody to. That's kind of hokey. Um, but stop for a minute and think about what would it look like for the gospel to redeem and transform everything within our reach? What would it look like for God's kingdom to be present? What would it look like for yourself and your coworkers to be transformed by the gospel? Your neighborhoods, where you live, work, and play, the city at large. Take a moment and dream without fear, without obstacle. What does that look like? Can you see it, or are, are, are we, my fear, I know me personally, this is me, this is the skeptic speaking. I, I'm, it's so ingrained in my nature that, that I think it's foolish. I think it's silly. Part of my challenge to you this morning is, is to be foolish. You know, the, the fool is someone who chases after something with such fever and passion that everyone around them looks and goes, okay, number, one of a couple things. He either knows something I don't, or he's nuts. Why keep plowing away at this thing? And every, really every great, every great mind, uh, or most in history, 
are people that were so obsessive about something, so pursuant of something, that everyone around them thought, you're an, you're an idiot. And then they, they end up coming up with, with some incredible new way for us to live our lives, or some incredible technology or, or invention. Um, but they are all seen as, as, as courting insanity. But see, we know something that most others don't. We know who our God is. We know the challenge that we've been given. We heard Patrick just last week talking about jobs and missions and things, tasks that were too big for us, but God's incredible, miraculous enabling So my challenge is to be foolish. My challenge is to pursue with foolish faith. And as we, as we think about and dream about what these things around us would look like that are transformed by the gospel in miraculous fashion, know that there's nothing too great for God. Patrick quoted a part of one of my favorite verses of Scripture last week. Uh, that says that uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no God besides you who moves on behalf of those who love you. He moves on our behalf. This, this mission that the church has is his mission. And, and so that's, that's my challenge to us today, myself most of all, is going into 2018 as, as we talk about raising funds for this building, as, as we talk about um, growing MCs and duplicating MCs, as we talk about packing this room and this gym out, as we talk about all of the big things that, that are before us, um, my, my prayer and, and my hope is that you will, you will see this as the thing that, that it is um, and, and, and the potential for nothing short of revolution that it can be in Millersville. As God does great and miraculous things through us individually and corporately as a body of believers. Thank you for listening to audio from New City Church Milledgeville, located in Milledgeville, Georgia. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about New City Church Milledgeville, please visit us online at www.newcitymilledgeville.org.